At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Wednesday edition of the PFT PM podcast and another eventful day in February as we get closer and closer to the scouting combine. We're heading there next Tuesday, broadcasting from Indianapolis Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Producers are in the midst of lining up various coaches and general managers for sit downs from the convention center. Used to be, and it's changed over the years, used to be set up in the stadium outside in the what is that the concourse the walkway and all the tv setups were there radio setups were there but it got so big that they moved us into the convention center and it's like radio row at the super bowl although not as big but but it's getting there and every year it gets bigger and bigger and every year the number of credentialed media at the scouting combine gets bigger and bigger but we're in the room with all the all the podiums for the press conferences and those will be going on I think Wednesday, Thursday are the bulk of those. So we try to catch the folks who are there to do press conferences on their way in, on their way out. We line them up, we knock them off and we make them part of the PFT live show. Fewer live, most of them are taped. So it's going to be a busy few days, but it's always fun going to Indianapolis for the scouting combine. Sims will be there last year. He wasn't, he's not working for Bleacher Report, but not yet full-time NBC. He becomes full-time NBC March 1, I believe, but he's going to be with us all week next week at the Scouting Combine, and then when we get back from the Combine, it's Sims full-time, four times a week on PFT Live and plenty of other things he'll be doing. So it, it it's a situation where the off-season reaches like kind of a little bit of a lull, but then it really starts to go and it's combine and it's free agency and it's league meetings and it's getting ready for the draft. And then before you know it, the OTAs and then before you know it, you're in the middle of June and it's over and it slows down for four weeks and then off it goes again. It, it's the same rhythm every year. It's the same formula every year. And the NFL only slows down for a brief period of time. And with some teams, it, it never stops. And for some teams, it needs to stop. Kevin Colbert apparently had a media session today. There have been various bits and pieces that have come out. The most recent thing we've posted is that Colbert doesn't have an issue with Ben Roethlisberger calling out teammates. Ben's the elder statement. If players were smart, they'd listen to him. He's been there. Well, okay, but... If he's the elder statesman, he needs to act like act like it. If he's the elder statesman, he needs to act like it, is what I meant to say. And most elder statesmen understand that it's not a good idea to be calling people out publicly. And Antonio Brown had a point when he recently said that Ben has an owner mentality and that players can't do anything about it. Otherwise, they suffer the consequences. Although, would a quarterback be so petty that he would not throw the football to someone who pushed back against 
a decision to call players out publicly? I don't know. There's a lot of discretion that gets exercised when you're behind the line of scrimmage looking for an open receiver. And maybe if you decide that there's a guy you don't like, you do throw the ball to others more often, whether you do that consciously or not. I just think it's a bad look. And here's the thing. The Steelers traditionally have put up a lot from with a lot from Ben Roethlisberger because he's a good football player. There was a time, it's now nine years ago, when he had the off-field incident in Georgia. And that was on the heels of being sued for sexual assault in Nevada in July of 2009. It was just weeks after we began our relationship with NBC, that lawsuit came through, and that was kind of a big deal, and that was the first anyone had heard of any type of Ben Roethlisberger improprieties, at least publicly. And then the other incident happened in early 2010, and there was a while there where it felt like the Steelers may trade him, and I remember that it was Santonio Holmes who got suspended for four games for violating the substance abuse policy, and they traded him quickly, I think because they just felt like they had to do something. And when they got to the Super Bowl that year, it was just kind of a hard reset for Ben Roethlisberger. And after that, like everything was fine. And he did, I think, mature to a certain extent. But, you know, there have been times where it's kind of open season on Ben Roethlisberger being kind of a jerk. And now he's been validated and vindicated by the GM of the team. And I don't see him changing anytime soon. But I'd like to think that what Colbert is doing is choosing not to call the guy out publicly, but privately. Maybe they're communicating a different message because I think it creates more problems than it solves. Other things that Colbert had to say today. First, no tag of any kind for Le'Veon Bell, which makes a ton of sense. There had been reports that They were thinking about using the transition tag and actually matching an offer sheet that he would have signed with another team, thinking that maybe someone will offer him on a long-term deal less than what the Steelers have offered in the past, so they would jump on that. That ignores the fact that James Conner and Jalen Samuels have proven that they are competent replacements, especially when dollar for dollar, they are much better bargains than Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell would have to be O.J. Simpson, Barry Sanders, Emmitt Smith, Adrian Peterson rolled into one to be dollar for dollar more of a value than Connor and Samuels. So they were never going to match the offer sheet that would have been signed if there'd been a transition tag. And then there was a thought, and this one was pushed by the Post-Gazette. ESPN was pushing the, maybe the Steelers will match. The Post-Gazette was pushing the idea that maybe they'll transition tag him and then trade him. But the scenarios that were being outlined by the Post-Gazette weren't realistic. Because you can't, you can't just tag him and then have him sign the transition tag and trade him and everything works out nicely and neatly. It doesn't work that way unless he's willing to cooperate. And why would he have cooperated? He gains nothing from cooperating. Because anything a team would have to give up to get Le'Veon Bell via trade is less that they will pay him. It's a sliding scale. It's one of the challenges they're going to face trying to trade Antonio Brown. They want to get a certain amount of value for Antonio Brown. Well, the more that a team gives up from a draft pick compensation or player compensation standpoint to get Brown, the less they're going to be willing to pay him. And and there's no hard and fast formula. It's just 
It's just reality. So there was no reason for Bell to help. There's hard feelings between Bell and the Steelers. And they were never going to use the transition tag. If anything, it just would have been a waste of time. Maybe it would have scared somebody away. I don't know. You know what would have happened? If they would have used the transition tag and would have tried to approach Adisa Bakari, who represents Bell, with some sort of scenario, Bakari would have told him to shove it. And then there was going to be a fight over what the amount of the tag was going to be, whether it's $14.54 million again, or whether it's the base transition tag for running backs. It just was not going to work. And ultimately, unless Bell is in on this, and Bell is willing to work something out, and there's another team and the Steelers and Bell who work together to make this happen, somebody's just going to sign them to an offer sheet that the Steelers can't match or won't match. There'll be some big payment. Now, they've gotten rid of some of the poison pill provisions that make it easy to write an offer sheet that another team can't or won't match, but there are still legitimate ways to scare away a team, especially a team that already has James Conner and Jalen Samuels. That's what I keep coming back to. So they probably looked at every possible option to try to find a way to get some immediate compensation for Le'Veon Bell, and they decided, you know what, our best play is let him walk away, and that'll factor into the compensatory draft picks that we get in 2020. And I can't help but wonder, will the Steelers want more now for Brown? Will they be determined to get a better deal for Brown because they're letting Bell walk away. And could they actually pull off this notion that Colbert pushed on Wednesday that if they don't get significant compensation for a significant player, they won't trade Antonio Brown at all. And I don't think Brown's going to be happy about that. He has not tweeted yet today. I can't imagine that he's happy with this conditional promise now that the Steelers will trade him, but only if they get what they think is significant compensation. And how are they going to pull that off? How do you get significant compensation for a guy who doesn't want to be there and for a guy that you don't want to be there? How? How do you pull that off? The Steelers just have a mess. And they only have themselves to blame. They have created these messes. Whether it's not properly understanding how Le'Veon Bell would react to the franchise tag, not properly valuing him, these stupid rules they have about not putting guaranteed money in the second or third year of a long-term contract, the way they handled Antonio Brown, they kind of let him become this guy that does what he wants. He's a sixth-round pick. He 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 had no reason to be a diva walking through the door. The Steelers allowed him to become a diva. They're part of the problem. And now they want to clean this mess up. But they want to get significant compensation for a guy they should want to keep and a guy who should want to be there, but the bridge has been burned. It's unclear whether or not the bridge has been burned between the Giants and Landon Collins. Josina Anderson is either talking to Collins or someone close to him because she's had a couple reports recently about Landon Collins' future. And the problem is, and we've seen this in the past, and, 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 and we've seen a lot of reporters do this over the years, 
when you have that pipeline and you are getting information consistently and repeatedly about a certain player, whether you do it consciously or not, you end up shading your reporting and your opinions in the favor of the person who's giving you the information. It's always a challenge. It's always a challenge to be objective when there is that source that is allowing you to be ahead of the curve on one of the top free agents. So Anderson reports the Giants have cleaned out. No, the Giants' safety. Big difference. The Giants haven't cleaned out Landon Collins' locker. The Giants' safety cleaned out his own locker. Plenty of Giants beat writers who, of course, are chagrined that they didn't have the scoop or pushing back saying he hasn't cleaned out his locker. And the question then becomes, how much shit is left in his locker and is it stuff he even wanted? Did he take the stuff that he wants and he left stuff he doesn't want? When Warren Sapp left the Buccaneers, he had some Jordan cleats in there and Chris Sims claimed them. He's told that story before. You don't clean out every last item. You clean out the stuff you want. It's not like school, right? Where you get in trouble if you leave stuff in your locker at the end of the semester. You take the stuff you want, you leave the stuff you don't want. So it's not like it's a ghost town in your locker. But if you look at it closely, the stuff that the guy gives a crap about isn't there. And even if it's not, who cares? Who cares? Right? What does that mean? Does that mean if the Giants use the franchise tag on Landon Collins, he's going to sit out this year? It's eight figures. For a safety, that's pretty damn good. One of, one of the reasons people think that the Giants won't use the franchise tag on Collins is because of, of how significant it is. Now, I think they need to find a way to keep him around, but this is all just posturing. None of it matters. What matters is money. What matters is what the Giants do. And I'd be very surprised if Landon Collins gets the franchise tag and ultimately says, screw it, I'm not taking your $11 million or whatever the money's going to be, $11.2 million. I, I can't imagine that, uh, that, that Collins would, would turn up his nose at that. One more on the Steelers. Chris Boswell is still on the roster, even though he maybe shouldn't be. Kevin Colbert said that they're going to have competition for Boswell, but they believe Boswell can bounce back. And part of it is they paid Boswell last August. He lost his fastball right after he got a contract. So if it was any other kicker, he'd be gone by now. But once they've made an investment in the guy, they have to do what they can to try to salvage him before they end up taking the cap hit and or letting the guy walk away with a bunch of money that they can't get back. You can't get... Signing bonus money back because the guy stinks. If that was the case, there'd be a lot of signing bonus money that changes hands. That's for damn sure. Other than that, it's been a fairly slow day since the end of today's PFT Live. We had a busy PFT Live with a lot of good stuff on there, a lot of good interviews. I'm anxious to see Mike Tirico tonight calling the Blackhawks and Red Wings game. He's never done hockey. And he's jumping into it. And that guy, I, I admire the hell out of that guy. That guy busts his ass. That guy never takes his foot off the gas. And he's always looking for something to do. And and, and, and it'll be great to see him do hockey. And he'll be great at it. I mean, that, that's the thing. He's never going to do anything and not do a great job at it. He's always going to be prepared. He's always going to work hard. He's the consummate professional. He's got the smooth voice. Nice guy. Great addition to NBC. Had so much fun last year working with him and getting to know him. And he's locked in on game day, man. I mean, he is locked in. And it's inspiring to watch him work. We had Tom Dundon, the new chairman of the AAF on the program. 
And man, I really got the impression. And wouldn't it be great to have so much money to do this? But I got the impression that he just kind of did this thing on a lark. Like last week, the opportunity came up. And if you read between the lines, he was approached last week because there was an urgent need for some funding. And he just decided instead of applying a Band-Aid, he just bought the whole freaking box. And that's what Charlie Ebersole, the co-founder and the CEO of the AAF, told me yesterday that Dundon said, instead of doing various rounds of fundraising, Series A, Series B, Series C, how about Series Infinity here? Now, they won't say how much he owns, but for $250 million, my sense is he's going to have a major piece of equity. And I'd be surprised if he's got anything less than 51%. You don't put in that kind of money as one person and not have control of the business. You don't. And how do you make the money back? How do you make back $250 million? And here's the thing. I think the guy's got so much money, he doesn't care. He's willing to write it off. And I'm sure there's all sorts of tax benefits that would come from losing that kind of money. Tax shelters, write-offs. You don't know what a write-off is. I don't either. I kind of do. It's different things in different contexts. But the bottom line is, if he takes a bath, he'll find a way to get some tax credits for that. The really rich people have really good accountants who can find different ways to manipulate things so you pay as little tax as possible. That's the way the world works. But, you know, if paying no taxes means pouring $250 million down a dry hole, there is a price to be paid. And that money will be spent, stimulates the economy, pays these salaries of the players. I I was troubled by the story that the Orlando Apollos have to go to Georgia to practice for workers' comp reasons. That, That... And they're practicing at high school fields. I was told last week, like, they stay in a hotel and they practice at a high school field. They don't have team facilities. The idea of spreading these teams out all over the country. And we had Charlie Ebersole on the program last year when they announced the plans and city in Orlando, a team in Orlando, team in Atlanta. Okay, that makes sense. But then you got teams in San Diego and Utah and Texas and Arizona and I, I, I just think there would have been some wisdom to clustering the teams in one region at first and then expanding outward from there. Because there has to be an issue with travel expense. I mean, if you, if you are putting guys on a bus and driving them 30 minutes from Jacksonville to the other side of the Georgia state line, And I think it's more than 30 minutes from Jacksonville to the other side of the Georgia state line. I could be wrong. But when you're driving guys out of state so they can practice and then bringing them back to a hotel in Jacksonville and they're playing their games in Orlando, it tells me that money is an object. When you have eight teams spread across the country, money is no object. We're well-funded. When you're doing things like this, you got to wonder. And San Antonio has been great. What if they would have had a team in San Antonio, Houston, Dallas? And then that's three right there. And then you just work your way out from there. Maybe you put a team in in Norman, Oklahoma, right? And then you build natural rivalries. 
That's what you need. You need natural rivalries. What are the natural rivalries here with this eight-team league? Orlando and Atlanta? I guess they played the first week. Utah and who? Utah and Arizona? Utah and San Diego? I guess Arizona and San Diego. San Antonio, who's their natural geographic rival? Who? And San Antonio, it's working. They love this in San Antonio. Memphis, not so much. I guess Memphis and Birmingham would be. See, they they got those four teams clustered in the southeast, which is good. But then the other four teams are kind of spread out all over the west. Why not cluster four teams in the southeast and then, you know, have those three teams in Texas, Houston, San Antonio, Dallas, and then you drop in one more somewhere. New Orleans, I don't know. And then next year you're going to have the XFL with its eight teams. I, I hope these leagues succeed. I like having football on. But quarterback play is key. Tom Dundon acknowledged that today on PFT Live. And there aren't enough good quarterbacks to go around. And it's clear that Dundon believes that this is going to be a developmental league. If it's a true developmental league, I don't know that it's ever really going to find its footing the way that it needs to. You need to have a reason to tune in. You need to have star players. And your star players are going to be gone. They need to get to a point, I think he hinted at this, where maybe there's sharing of players. It's the backup quarterbacks from the NFL teams that are playing in the AAF. The second stringers, the third stringers, guys who are on the roster, on loan to the AAF. As it stands right now, you're either on an NFL roster or you're on an AAF roster. And by the time the AAF season ends, the roster spots are going to be taken in the NFL. And you got to hope you played well enough in the AAF that, that a team is willing to either dump somebody they currently have in a contract or sign fewer undrafted free agents. That's who they're competing with as a practical matter. They're competing with undrafted free agents. And the goal is going to be after the draft is over and the land rush starts for the UDFAs that the AAF players are going to get calls to. And I don't know how much of that's going to work. Like Trent Richardson, you know, he's kind of had a rebirth in football, but does that mean that an NFL team is going to come calling? I don't know. The Oakland situation, not a surprise. Three weeks ago at the Super Bowl, there was a clear sense that Oakland was going to ultimately host the Raiders, even though they have a deal to play in San Francisco at Oracle Park where the Giants play. There was a sense then it's going to be Oakland, and that's where it's heading now. And it looks like Oakland for 2019, and if necessary, 2020. And boy, some people in Las Vegas, they get pissed off if you point out that there's a chance that the Raiders will play in Oakland in 2020 because this stadium may not be ready by then. God forbid you suggest the stadium may not be ready. People are just so unreasonable. People can be very objective and reasonable until that dart gets a little bit too close to the bullseye of their financial interest, their rooting interest, whatever the case may be. And they will just react and lash out, whether it's talking about the Giants trading Odell Beckham, whether it's, God forbid, laying out the scenario pursuant to which Baker Mayfield would pull a LeBron James and leave Cleveland. I was on radio earlier today in Cleveland. They gave me a hard time about that because I was on radio in Boston the week before the Super Bowl and we were just spitballing. It was right after that Seth Wickersham story came out about the Browns and I I said a very real concern would be 
and I don't know if I've ever even talked about this here on PFTPM. I don't think it's come up on PFT Live. I haven't written it at profootballtalk.com. Maybe I should. Although, I don't know. I don't want any more harassment from Browns fans. Not that I really care. And I don't. It goes with the territory. If people are upset, that's not my problem. I just got to say what I believe. And I know people are going to be upset if it lays out scenarios they don't like. And in Cleveland, they don't want any scenario that involves the possibility of Baker Mayfield leaving. But my point was, if there truly is dysfunction in that organization, Baker Mayfield is smart enough and savvy enough to understand it and to realize that there is going to be some dotted line between the dysfunction and the team's performance. And whatever the team does, the team could have done better if it had had a non-dysfunctional ownership, just like last year with Hugh Jackson. If they got rid of Hugh Jackson earlier, they would have been better and may have made the playoffs. I, I remember being concerned going into the season that if they go 6-10, and 7-9, and nine and they keep Hugh Jackson, it would be a mistake because if you can do that with Hugh, how much better would you have been without Hugh? That was one of my theories coming out of 1-31 over two seasons, that the coach is responsible for some of these losses. That there were enough close games that if you have the coach making the right decisions, either during the games or leading up to the games, the things that may not be obvious as they relate to the results when the games are played, that maybe you would have won more games. And I think Mayfield, if he truly does sense that there's dysfunction coming from the top of the organization, he could, if he wants to, decide, I'm not signing a long-term deal. I've got a four-year contract. They'll apply the fifth-year option. Franchise tag, year six. Franchise tag, year seven. Then what do they do year eight? By year eight, it's a 44% increase over the year seven franchise tag. And then there's an unresolved question out there as to whether or not you can tag someone more than three times. What if they try to tag him a fourth time? And by then, it really gets astronomical because it's another, at a minimum, 44% raise on top of the 44% raise. And the numbers go out of whack quickly. It's why the, the Washington franchise didn't apply the franchise tag for a third time to Kirk Cousins last year because it would have been a huge bump. It would have been like $35 million for one year. But if Mayfield is determined at the appropriate time to leave, there's a way to make it happen. And from, see, most of these positions, defensive end, running back, et cetera, if you're a first-round pick and you have to go five full years and then tag and tag, right, that's seven. By the time you're at year eight, you're 30. Who the hell is going to pay you? For a quarterback? Okay, you're 30. So what? You got 10 more years. Somebody's going to do that. Somebody is going to see what Kirk Cousins did last year And they are going to do it. Le'Veon Bell, to a certain extent, has done that. He now has his freedom. He gave up $14.5 million last year to get there. And there will be people who say he's never going to get that back. But at the same time, whatever he gets on the open market now, that's going to be that multi-generational payday that you don't get for $14.5. And see, the problem is for the average person, the money we're talking about here is so gigantic that you can't understand. And I can't understand. Like, what's the difference between 14.5 million and 40 million? If you get 40 million fully guaranteed at signing, well, it's an extra 26 million. And 
you get to a certain point where there's so much money that's just if you manage it properly and it doesn't take much to manage it properly you don't have to make a lot of risky investments you get to a certain point where you put that money in the bank and you can live off the interest fairly comfortably even if it's like three percent and you should be able to invest if you've got after taxes let's say that you have if, if it's 40 million fully guaranteed after taxes you should have Let's let's say you've got 60% of 40 million. That that's what you get after taxes. 24 million. Let, let's say that that you put any all right, 4 million dollars over. Let's say you 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 actually spend 4 million. You're not going crazy, right? You spend 4 million dollars over a 4-year period, although that may be a little high. Let, let's say you spend 6 million. You've got 18 left. If you invest that at 3% that's $540,000 that you're going to make every year just off of the money that's sitting there. And after football, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, like, are guys going to live these lavish lifestyles indefinitely? I'd like to think most people could find a way to live on $540,000 a year. And you just live on that. And, and I guess you could dip into the, the principal if you need to at some point. But that's just with 3%. So, you know, you, you get and, and that you get that huge pile of money that gets set, a, set aside and you can put yourself in a position where you live off the interest that takes care of you, that takes care of your kids. You know, that goes a long way, especially with the interest rates not as high as they were back in the 70s and the 80s. Now, the problem is you're not getting as much revenue because the interest rates aren't as high, but you should be able to make that go a long, long way. So even though the money that Le'Veon Bell didn't make last year, he'll never make that money, he didn't put himself at risk of getting nothing this year. You get $14.5 million last year, you tear an ACL, you rupture an Achilles, what are you getting this year? A one-year $4 million deal. So the difference is $22 million if he gets $40 million fully guaranteed. Maybe he gets more. We'll, we'll do the full analysis once we see what his deal is. And... Yeah, who knows? I think the Jets are going to break the bank, but but we'll see when that happens. Apparently, and I haven't tracked this down yet, Stats sent me the tweet. Apparently, Colin Coward was talking about Russell Wilson. There's chatter that he wants out of Seattle, that his wife wants to be in New York, that Seattle is too far removed from the entertainment industry. And regardless of that motivation, I know that last year when quarterback pay started to increase, I was told that Russell Wilson was going to resist signing an extension with the Seahawks. Now, it was very wise for him when he did his most recent deal. And Mark Rogers, his baseball agent and also his football agent, gets a lot of criticism because he's not a football agent, but he played this well. He resisted doing a long-term deal. Remember when Aaron Rodgers got his big contract in 2013? He committed all the way through 2019, and it created a problem. It gave the Packers leverage. It allowed the Packers to, to slow play. And, and even now, when he did his latest deal, he extended deep into the next decade. Russell Wilson did a four-year extension after three years in Seattle. So he's got one year left. And he may be the guy who does the Kirk Cousins thing. Because when's he ever been injured? What risk is he taking? 
franchise tag 2020, franchise tag 2021. And then what do they do in 2022 when it's time to give him a 44% increase over whatever his franchise tag number will be in 2021? It's going to be a big number. What do you do? Now, it may be difficult for him to sell leaving the Seahawks because he's all about go Hawks. Although when we had him at the Super Bowl three weeks ago, he did not say go Hawks. He did not say go Hawks at the end of the interview. I think he forgot. We got him talking about the Olympics and that we had a fishbowl question about the the Olympics and, and what event you would participate in. And he was talking about beating Usain Bolt and he'd be a sprinter. And, and he kind of got caught up in that and he forgot to say go Hawks. But how do you separate from the Hawks? Now, he transferred from North Carolina State to Wisconsin. And you can find a way to justify doing whatever it is you want to do. And if anybody can pull this off, it's him. If anybody can say with a straight face, I'm just not comfortable accepting these offers. And, and will the Seahawks at that point agitate the situation by leaking the numbers he's saying no to? That's the weapon the team has. I remember back when Eli Manning was negotiating his most recent deal. The Giants leaked at one point that Eli Manning wants to be the highest paid player in football. And people were like, what the hell, Eli Manning, you don't deserve to be the highest paid player in football. But the way that his leverage was playing out, the franchise tag that was going to apply to him based upon his cap number in his last year, he was going to be the highest paid player in football, not because he's hitting the open market and someone's making him the highest paid player, although that would have been the case because the quarterback market had been held down for so long. But yeah, he would have been the highest paid player in football. But that's where his leverage led. And ultimately, he didn't take full advantage of it. Matthew Stafford could have done it, and he didn't take full advantage of it. I think as we see more and more NBA players kind of dictate what their lives are going to be, we're moving toward the time when football players do the same thing. Kirk Cousins and Trumaine Johnson were the first to do it. Le'Veon Bell is the next. Someone else is going to do it. And if Le'Veon Bell cashes in, others are going to be even more emboldened to do the same thing. Something to keep an eye on as 2019 unfolds, because before you know it, we are going to be into 2020, and it's going to be time to start looking at the franchise tags. And obviously, the Seahawks are not going to let Russell Wilson walk away. Maybe they would trade him. If it comes to that, I don't know. But it's definitely something to watch if there's any truth to what coward was saying or or even if there isn't regardless of whether or not russell wilson's wife is comfortable living in seattle over the long haul from a matter of just dollars and cents and getting what you believe you deserve getting fair value for what you bring to the table russell wilson is in a position where he can really push this thing if he wants to and he can ultimately come out of it with, I don't know, 35 million, 40 million a year. We're going to see more and more guys push the envelope and they should. Here's the thing. We had a graphic today on PFT live of the, all the teams out there with ridiculous amounts of cap space. You know why they have ridiculous amounts of cap space? Because they're not spending the money like they used to. There was a time when teams were in cap purgatory all the time. They're not anymore. Very few are because they don't spend like they used to. The players need to use their leverage. People complain about the union all the time. Well, it's the union's fault this, the union's fault that. You know whose fault it is when it comes time to negotiate these contracts and play hardball? The players aren't doing it. Their agents aren't doing it. 
And now we're starting to see it. Guys taking the risk. Guys betting on themselves. And as the game gets safer, it's easier to bet on yourself. The injury risk decreases. Now I know, tell that to Alex Smith. There's still always the risk of a serious fluke injury. But with the rules skewing toward player safety in recent years, that makes it easier for a player to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to carry the injury risk because that's my path to maximizing my compensation. All right. When your battery loses its power, you lose your ability to get out, get around, and get things done. When it's time to replace your battery, trust the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts to help you choose the super start battery that's an exact fit for your vehicle. Whether it's reliable economy, hardworking premium, or powerful extreme, O'Reilly Auto Parts has a super start battery you need at a guaranteed low price. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. All right, time to answer some of your questions. Let's start with NFL leads via PFTPM posse with Arians coming to the Buccaneers, waxing poetically about Jameis Winston. Shouldn't they lock him up now as his price will go up, assuming Arians can fix his issues and his suspension slash issues would allow the Bucs to structure a team-friendly deal? You know, that's a good question. I don't know what Winston wants right now. $20.1 million is his salary for 2019. I assume that'll be the starting point on a long-term deal. He'd be at a minimum entitled to a 20% increase. The franchise tag probably 24, 25 million minimum for quarterbacks. I don't know what you do if you're the Bucks. I think you try to fix him. And if you do indeed fix him, then you sign him to a long-term deal. But even if they wanted to sign him now, I don't think they could get him at the kind of deal that would be a discount. This isn't like a Blake Bortles situation. Last year, what the Jaguars did with Bortles was essentially, and I don't know how hard they banged this drum, but the idea was, hey, you know what? We can cut you before this $19 million fifth-year option salary becomes fully guaranteed. Instead of that, let's just sign a three-year contract and let's stay together. And Bortles went with it. In hindsight, it was a mistake by the Jaguars, but it wasn't the kind of mistake that they would have made if they had signed him to a long-term contract with the kind of investment that we've seen in other quarterbacks. So I think with Winston, they're happy to play wait and see. And if it turns out he's great this year, then they'll say, okay, well, we got to pay for it. And then I think they'll hope that they can get him to be somewhat reasonable by saying, hey, Jameis, we, we supported you. We were behind you when things were tough. And really, even if Winston has a great year in Tampa, what kind of a market will that be for him next year? I don't know. I don't know that other teams would would end up jumping in with huge money if Winston has one good year out of five. Maybe he will. Maybe that would happen. But I think it's it makes sense for the Bucks to be cautious, at least for now. PFTP and Posse wants to know if I can interview Kristen. Kristen Coleman in the back, who runs all the graphics on PFT Live. She does a great job, and you mention her all the time. Let's show her some PFTP and Posse Live. I'll take that under advisement. Kristen Coleman is the director of PFT Live. She keeps a fairly low profile. She's 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 a you know she she busts her ass, but she probably wouldn't want to do it because she wouldn't want anything to be about her. But she does a very good job of keeping everything moving in the right direction. And she's the only one who knows how to make the radio clock and the TV clock come together. And what you've got here is you've got a radio clock that's controlled out of Culver City, California. You've got me in West Virginia. 
you've got the Stanford TV operation, whether someone's in studio there or not, it's still running through Stanford. And then somehow everything that goes out over the air is pumped through a facility in New Jersey. So you got this bi-coastal with West Virginia in the middle and two different locations on the East Coast, all trying to sync up at the same time. And she's the only one who knows how to thread that needle. And she's got to thread it every day from seven to nine. We've got the first two minutes of TV only. That has to go seamlessly into the return of radio at the start of each hour. So that's twice. When we go top of hour, two minutes, we talk about whatever on TV. The radio audience rejoins. And then we take kind of a floating break in the first segment each hour. And then we come back for a TV-only segment that's a minute and 45 seconds. She has to count it right down and make that all work. And then radio comes back when TV comes back. Then we have the hard radio out at 28 after each hour. We do a three-minute pod segment where it's just TV. Got to make everything thread just right on the way out there each hour. Then we're back at 35 after the hour. Same thing. TV and radio have to sync up. She's the one who threads the needle. And then floating break on the back end. Then a two-minute and 15-second pod as the third break every hour. Then back, thread the needle, hard out, and you go into hour three and you do it all over again. It's not easy. And then she's got to deal with an asshole like me. Not easy. And Sims. Although I'm probably worse than Sims. Although Sims... Sims is is kind of impish and childish and just kind of like goofy. So he, he has his own issues. Question from KSTs13. You compared Antonio Brown to Charlie Sheen. Do you think that AB's erratic and almost unexplainable behavior could be the result of a drug problem? Le'Veon Bell rapped about how he's never failed a drug test for weed and they should be more worried about PEDs. I don't know if that has anything to do with Antonio Brown. And I'm not going to start speculating on why Antonio Brown may be doing what he's doing, other than to say, we see the end result. I don't know why this end result is there. It may be the product of a genius plan to completely knock the Steelers wobbly and force them to do something they otherwise wouldn't want to do, which is trade Antonio Brown. Since yesterday, he's clammed up completely on social media, and it could be that he was told in person by his agent to not do it. That the Steelers have asked him not to do it. That, hey, we're going to work with you here, but you just have to stop with the videos on the elliptical and the attacks on your quarterback and your coach on social media. It just has to stop. And for now, he'll stop. But if he doesn't get what he wants, I mean, you got the GM saying today, hey, we want significant compensation for a significant player. If he doesn't get what he wants, then he may return to it. But it just does seem like something's off and either it's deliberate with the goal of getting out of Pittsburgh or something is off and if I'm trading for this guy I want to know is this guy okay I want to know is there a chance he's going to be suspended for this domestic incident that happened back in January I want to know if there's anything to this throwing furniture off a 14 story balcony and whether or not he's going to be potentially in trouble for that I want to know, is he going to get along with my quarterback? I want to know, is he going to get along with his receivers? I want to know, is he going to show up on time? Or am I going to have to worry about a locker room issue because we're bringing in a guy who's never played for us before and all of a sudden we're going to have a separate set of rules for this diva who blasted his way out of Pittsburgh through social media. 
Oh, and by the way, the Steelers want significant compensation and he wants a new contract. Good luck with all of that. You know, every time it feels like this thing has reached a conclusion, or at least is moving in that direction, there are complications. And what Kevin Colbert said today is evidence of potential complication. Mr. Patrick One did A.B. screw himself by restructuring his contract to signing bonuses he has to pay back if he walks away. Seems like he gave the Steelers leverage by converting salary to signing bonus and keeping them out of salary cap hell. Here's the thing. Under the labor deal, and, and it's a good point, it's a good question. Under the labor deal, when you take a guy's base salary and convert it to a guaranteed payment and it gets treated like a signing bonus, it's not treated like a signing bonus for the purposes of if you would retire. So what Brown got was, and I got to pull the numbers up here, spot rack usually has very reliable breakdowns of what a guy's contract is. And Antonio Brown is one of the trending players. Okay. He got a $19 million signing bonus in 2017. It breaks down by $3.8 million per year over five years. Last year, there was a restructuring of his contract where he got a... Restructuring bonus of, let me add this up, 3.2, it's, it's spread 3.24 million over four years. That is 12.96 million. So last year what they did, he was due to have a salary last year of 13.875 million. They took 12.96 of it and made it a guaranteed payment, reducing his salary to the minimum for his level of experience to 915,000. That is a common technique. That's the simple restructuring. So let me make sure I'm explaining this clearly. They took every dollar of his salary above the minimum and they turned it into a guaranteed payment last year. That allowed them to create a total of 11.4 million in cap space. Not 11.4, wait, 3.8 times 3. Yes, 11.4, no, wrong one, wrong one. 3.24, I'm sorry. It created 3.24 million per year, 9.72 million in cap space with the stroke of a pen. By taking his salary, paying it all to him as a bonus, and taking that excess over 915000 and spreading it out over four years, they created $9.72 million in cap space last year. Now, that, that, that's why if they trade him, that's why they have a total cap hit of $21 million plus. It's the $11.4 million that is still left on his original signing bonus that hasn't been applied in cap years plus the 9.72 million that is left under restructuring bonus from last year but if he retires he doesn't owe them 21 million he owes them 11.4 million and i don't think he's going to do it anyway but you, you don't get all of it when you do that simple restructuring and and think about it, it's 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 only fair to the player because the player's doing the team a favor all that pl- the player has to say is no I'm going to show up week in and week out this season, take my salary, thank you very much, and you can never touch that money on the back end. If you want me to take that money now because you want to create cap space, then if something happens next year and I retire or I sit out, you can't come get that money from me. That's where that comes from. I hope I've explained that. There's a chance that I haven't. PFTPM Posse, what is the Mike Florio equivalent to Mr. Big Chess Million Dollar Smile? I assume that's a reference to a point that I have made about 
Antonio Brown with that million dollar smile that he has. And and I think somebody told him at some point, when in doubt, just flash that million dollar smile and you'll be able to just million dollar smile your way out of trouble. I don't I don't I wish I had a device like that. I just try to stay out of trouble because I know there's nothing I can do to quickly get out of trouble. Once I'm in trouble, I just have to stay in trouble until the trouble resolves itself. I don't have that get out of jail free card. So as a result, I, I just try not to get myself in trouble. I wish I had that million dollar smile that he can flash. And it works for the most part. People don't get mad at him. All right. I need a million dollar smile how to get out of the trouble I'm in now because what I, what I have done is I somehow jammed up my Twitter page and now I got to go back and see which questions I have answered and which ones I haven't answered. Tyler Fornes has chimed in. The PFTPM posse has decided that my appendix is named Stats. I like that very much. I, and I hope that the twice-ruptured appendix has been salvaged and he writes stats on top of the jar and he saves it. And we're glad Tyler's doing well. Hopefully he's still getting out of the hospital this Saturday. And, and again, Paul Allen was just fabulous for making the trip 45 minutes to the hospital where Tyler Fornis is and visiting with him yesterday and he brought me in on FaceTime. And I, I didn't do anything. All I did was text Paul and say, will you go see this guy? He's in the hospital. He almost died. We just go see him. He'll get a kick out of it. And all I did was talk for five minutes when Paul FaceTimed me. And he spent 45 minutes with the guy. 45 minutes getting there. 45 minutes getting home. And spent 45 minutes with the guy. And it, it means a lot to me. And I'm glad that Tyler's doing better. And hopefully it, it helped him get through just a shit period of being stuck in a hospital. Nobody wants to be stuck in a hospital. All due respect. I mean, hospitals, hey, I understand you got a job to do. But nobody wants to be there. Nobody is saying, hey, I can't wait till I get to go to the hospital again. Sergio D, does C.J. Anderson's honesty regarding Gurley affect his job future with the Rams? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know that the Rams would be less inclined to keep C.J. Anderson around because he was honest about Todd Gurley. You're going to need somebody like C.J. Anderson. If it's not Anderson, they better find somebody else. C.J. Anderson went from the couch to the playoff run and he should hopefully get himself an opportunity to sign with someone and make a little bit of money for 2019, whether it's the Rams or someone else. But the Rams better have a plan because there's a chance Todd Gurley's never going to be the same guy again. And they can operate in a state of denial as long as they want. But the longer they do that, the longer it's going to be until they have a solution. And they have the kind of running game that they need and the kind of pass catcher out of the backfield that Gurley has been. Because if this knee is going to continue to swell up from time to time and he's going to miss time out of the blue. It's almost like the old Percy Harvin migraines. Like when is this situation going to unexpectedly derail him for a week or two? Not a good development for the Rams, especially since they paid Todd Gurley in June, June or July. If they hadn't paid him, advantage Rams. Well, we're not going to pay him now, but they've paid him. So they got to find a way to make this work. And I think the key is Get inside that knee and fix whatever's wrong. Even if they deny, you know, I, I know that uh, nobody does exploratory surgery anymore because they have all the diagnostic devices available to see what's going on inside someone. And thank God, I remember, I remember, oh, he's having exploratory surgery. It's like, well, you know, kind of sounded kind of like an adventure. 
There's no adventure about it. They cut you open and they start looking around. What the hell's going on in here? It's like opening the hood of a car where you have to use a torch to open the hood. Anyway, I don't know how we got down that rabbit hole. All right, uh, what else do we have here? JT Busco, glad to see the real Forno is feeling better. Long time, first time, based on what you're hearing. Will there be any changes to the review rules regarding the blown PI call in New Orleans? Any movement on getting an eighth booth official to help correct missed calls? That's all died down now that the season's ended. The question is, what is Sean Payton doing at these competition committee meetings? I have used a couple of times a gif of Robert De Niro as Al Capone with the baseball bat in the untouchables as to what Sean Payton will be doing at the next competition committee meeting. But he seems to be determined and committed to making changes. And this is the week that they were going to start their process. It, it is tough to push back against the inertia of the league apparatus. There are so many people who just don't want to change because they're resistant to change. We can't have change. We're afraid of change. We're afraid of the unintended consequences. Well, you know, Rich McKay will say he's afraid of the unintended consequences, and then he outlines what they all are. So they're not unanticipated unintended consequences. So you can engineer the rule around the unintended consequences. You know, I I always use that phrase, how the dominoes are going to fall, but think about it. If you have the setup of how the dominoes are going to fall, you know how they're going to fall. You can look, you can, you're not staring at the domino, you're looking up above. All right, once we put this in motion, what may happen? All right, well, how do we prevent that from happening? Well, you make the dominoes go in a different direction. You can engineer the process. You got to have some faith in your ability to come up with rules that aren't screwed up. We don't want unintended consequences. All right, well, factor those into the rules. I mean, that, that applies to anything. Hey, we're thinking about making a change. All right, well, what could go wrong? Well, this could go wrong. That could go wrong. All right, well, let's make sure that we incorporate that into the change. Okay. Sometimes it's easy. At the Real Forno wants a 30-minute podcast of me and Artie Lang yelling at each other about Kirk Cousins for uh, PFTPM. Kyler, or Ty, Kyler, Tyler, sorry, Kyler, Tyler. God, the guy almost died and I'm getting his name wrong. Tyler. I'll ask him. I think I said Kyler because we're talking about Kirk, Kurt, Cousins. Tyler, I'll ask him if he'll do it. Josh Randall says, I have this book and thought of you. Would you have any interest? The Sociology of Seinfeld. Seinology. I never saw that before. There is a book called Seinfeldia, which goes in depth about how the show came to be things that happened while they made the show and then the way the show has become a cultural phenomenon in the 20 years since it went off the air. I read that a couple of years ago. I'll have to check out Sinology. Thank you for that, Josh. Hawkins Dre, is it safe to assume the Eagles are the next likely team to achieve Patriots-like success, player and community supporting owner, tactical GM, innovative coach, futuristic quarterback and rosters that show resilience with makeshift talent two straight years? Now, just because they had two straight years of playoff appearances. I'm not ready to say that the Eagles are going to be the next Patriots. I I don't think anybody is going to be the next Patriots. I don't think we're ever going to see that again until they clone Bill Belichick. Until there's another Bill Belichick, we're not going to see. And it's going to be a guy who is later in his coaching career who has been around long enough to understand how it all works. You know, McVay could be the next Belichick. He's only 33. If he learns the right lessons from what happened in the Super Bowl, if he embraces that, we still don't know what his ceiling is. What's his full capacity? But people asked me, I think on this podcast, there was a question, if it's a copycat league, why aren't people copying what the Patriots do? Because they can't. 
They can't figure out what the Patriots do. The Patriots have cracked the code, top to bottom. The thing that they do that is the most impressive is that every year they can reset the clock to zero and zero, and they go forward. And they don't get a big head because they had a big season. They don't get upset because they had a devastating defeat. They don't go into a funk. They don't go to cloud nine. They just go back to zero and zero and climb the mountain again. And to muster that will to keep going every year, every year, every year, keep pushing, keep pushing. It's amazing that they do that because it's hard for other teams. I'm, I'm impressed that the Saints got as far as they did this year after the devastating end to their 2017 season, a point that Mike Tirico made today on PFT Live. The way that the Patriots came back and won the AFC Championship game, like for any other franchise, that's a signature moment. That's like the catch for the 49ers. For the Patriots, it's, yeah, okay. It's just their latest path to the Super Bowl. No big deal. Let's see what else we have. The Laughing Man 5. Hey, Mike, wasn't last season that after AB was telling Le'Veon Bell to quit worrying about money and get there, and ironically, here we are with Bell walking away scot-free and AB stuck at the mercy of the team. I remember early in the offseason program, yet Antonio Brown doing everything he could to recruit Le'Veon Bell to show up. And I think, I think, I don't know this, but I think early on when, when you, know, you don't put yourself between a player and his money. And I have a feeling Le'Veon Bell made it clear to Antonio Brown, just shut up. Just shut up. Don't try to, and, and they did it two straight years. I feel like the team got Antonio Brown stirred up behind this idea of, hey, Le'Veon Bell, you got to be here so we can go pursue a championship. Wouldn't it funny how quickly that changes? And I don't know, maybe, maybe, him seeing Le'Veon Bell get his path out of town, decided Antonio Brown, made Antonio Brown decide, I'm going to get mine a different way. I'm not going to play out my contract and get franchise tagged a couple times. I'm just going to talk my way out of town. And the Juju Smith-Schuster being the team MVP and the issues with Roethlisberger, it all comes together. And, and I don't know. We'll see if he gets out. There's still a chance he's not getting out. There's still a chance that the Steelers are not going to get what they want in trade. And the Steelers are going to say, sorry, Antonio Brown, you play for us or you play for no one. And it potentially explodes that way. Pembroke Raiders, is this the offseason or next where the Cowboys will feel the financial squeeze? Dak, Zeke, Amari, DeMarcus, also Byron Jones. Shereen Williams pointed that out today. We talked about the future for the Cowboys. I think next season is when it's really going to hit them, but... They want to sign Amari Cooper now. He's due to be a free agent next year. Dak Prescott's due to be a free agent next year. Ezekiel Elliott's got two years left. Marcus Lawrence has a $20.56 million franchise tag value this year. Byron Jones is coming up for free agency. One of those guys has got to be the odd man out. Got to be. Dean Osborne, 42, should Washington stick with Colt McCoy at quarterback to start the season? You know, financially, it may be their best play. And I know a couple of years ago, when they were getting ready to tag Kirk Cousins the second time, I know that they were giving serious thought to just letting him walk and making Colt McCoy the quarterback. That in their mind, it was going to be $24 million for Cousins. It was going to be $3 million for McCoy. In their mind, Cousins was not eight times better than McCoy. But you know, McCoy finally got the chance to play last year and what happened? He got injured. But when you have that guaranteed money that's going to Alex Smith that you have to account for under your cap, it makes it kind of hard to spend a lot of money on a quarterback. Although they were in on the Joe Flacco discussion it could be one of the reasons why the Broncos got him is because the Broncos are willing to take on $18.5 million and Washington was trying to trying to squeeze that number down because they, they have the Alex Smith contract to contend with. They may just have to draft somebody. 
But you can draft somebody and throw somebody right into the fray right away. That didn't work out so well the last time they did it with RG3. Although it worked out okay that year. It's the last time they've been to the playoffs. But it just feels like this that franchise has a dark cloud hovering over it everywhere it goes. Pembroke Raider, do you think that the AAF will pay more than the base salary for anybody of substance? Will they do it this year or will the lack of stars do them in? Look, I, I know that Tom Dundon, the new chairman of the AAF, is behind this idea. It's a developmental league, but I think you need star players and you need good quarterbacks to get to the point where you are a must-watch destination. I just don't know how this thrives over the long haul. Eight teams, you got to have more than eight teams at some point. And I know they are very excited about this digital product, the app that they have, and how it can be used as a, a real-time betting portal. And also, they're trying to make it into like an interactive game that kids will play like Minecraft or Fortnite. We'll see. But if you don't have stars, you got to have some other hook. And it's not like there's any player that just, oh, yeah, how about, oh, I can't wait to see how... X plays. Now, Charles Johnson had 192 receiving yards for the Orlando Apollos last week, so that's something, but th- there isn't anybody that is forcing people to turn on their TVs and watch that game. It's just, I'm turning on the AAF game, and this is the game it happens to be. That's that's right now the mode that most people have. There are four games per weekend, and you're just tuning in when you have the chance to tune in, and you're watching the game because it's on, but you're not saying, I really need to see the San Antonio Commanders right now. I really can't wait to see what the Atlanta legends have up their sleeve. That that That's not happening yet. Because you don't have that same attachment to names. I mean, when you think of teams, you immediately have three or four guys, NFL teams, three or four guys that you know you're tuning in to watch, right? With the AAF, I really got to stop and think. I got to stop and think what nickname attaches to what city, I got to think what quarterback is where. And I only know a few of the quarterbacks, right? Is Garrett Gilbert the Orlando quarterback? And Philip Nelson is the San Diego quarterback that threw the ball over his head backward. Mike Bercovici is the guy who was in San Diego that got blown up week one. And Philip Nelson took his place. Salt Lake quarterback, have to look it up. Atlanta quarterback is Matt Sims. I only know that because it's Chris's brother. The Birmingham quarterback, I don't know. Memphis is Christian Hackenberg, but we only know that because he's not good. Trent Richardson's playing for Birmingham. I don't know, but it's only two weeks in. We'll see where it goes. I'm amazed that Tom Dundon just wrote that check for $250 million and just jumped in. And wouldn't it be great to be that rich? You can just roll the dice on something that you like. Hey, I like this. Look good on TV. Good production. I kind of like it. Maybe it's going somewhere. Let me throw in $250 million. Boy, wouldn't it be great to be able to just do that? Jerry Bissett a day late, but Tom Blanchard. Thank you. And there were several people that tweeted back Tom Blanchard yesterday. That was impressive because that was a long, and today's even longer, I think. I've been prattling on for over an hour already. It's hard, not hard. It's hard for you. I I can sit here and talk all day. That's not hard. It's hard listening to me and nobody else. I probably should have set up a guest today. Sorry I didn't. But for just me to talk into this microphone and you to listen to it, are you you feeling all right that you're doing this? I... I mean, really, I, I, I don't mind doing it because I actually kind of like it because it allows me to collect my thoughts. I come out of it with ideas, a thing to write, things to write about, and I usually forget two or three of them. 
The last thing I'm going to do, though, is listen to this damn podcast to refresh my memory as to what they are. But anyway, Tom Blanchard, listening to the podcast and the PFTPM podcast helps my day of delivering packages be better. Thank you for your service. You're welcome. And again, it's nothing for me. I'm just sitting here talking. It's therapeutic for me at times. At other times, it makes me think I have something wrong with me that I am able to sit here for an hour and talk about things that I'm amazed people care about. But to the extent that you folks are out there and you're listening, I appreciate you. Because trust me, and I'm not complaining about money because I am very fortunate that I can do this for a living and I am generally well taken care of. As it relates to the PFTPM podcast, you know, I, I keep comparing it to the first three or four years of the website where I just did it because I liked it. And eventually it generated revenue. But the first few years it didn't. And we get a little bit here or there, but not nothing to write about. And, and we're actually getting a bigger and bigger audience. So maybe one of these days it's going to break wide open and I'll, I'll have a financial reason to sit here and just kind of mumble into the microphone for an hour three or four times a week. Let's answer a couple more questions and then wrap this one up. Sergio D, if by chance Dallas doesn't want to keep Demarcus Lawrence, how does it turn his departure into maximum draft pick compensation? Well, your best play is to tag him and trade him. Look at what the Raiders got for Khalil Mack. Tag him and trade him if that's what you want to do. You don't let him walk away and let his departure be part of the compensatory draft pick formula for 2020. You tag him and trade him. And then you hope for your best your best play. Recliner QB, is it smart for Cowboys defensive end to Marcus Lawrence to forego shoulder surgery absent a long-term deal? What does he gain by delaying repairing his shoulder? Here's what he gains. It makes artificial deadlines real. Because as it stands, the deadline for doing a long-term deal is July 15. And we've seen teams take it right up until July 15. We saw the Cowboys do that the last time they had a franchise tag player that went to the limit. It was Des Bryant. If you are saying, I'm not getting this shoulder surgery until I have a long-term deal, then you are putting the Cowboys in a position where they have to work backward and say, when do we want this guy to get the shoulder surgery so he's ready to go when camp opens? And maybe the real deadline needs to be the moment the tag locks in in 13 days. Maybe that's what he's hoping for. And then the team carries the risk that something happens with the shoulder surgery that keeps him from playing this year. What if he goes and gets the surgery and there's a complication and he's out for all of 2019? There goes his, his $20.5 million. They would rescind the franchise tender in a heartbeat if all of a sudden the guy's physically unable to play. So I think that's what is at play here, trying to get a long-term deal done sooner than later. And then the question becomes, will he indeed wait to have shoulder surgery done because then you get yourself into a predicament where if you do the surgery, I mean, when do you do the surgery? Cause you want to be healthy when it's time to hit the open market, unless you think, Hey, you know what? I'm just going to rehab the shoulder. And if it needs surgery next year, I'll do it after I sign my long-term contract. That's a risk for whoever ends up signing him. It sounds like it's not a major procedure though. It sounds like it's not a major problem. And he's not a quarterback, so he doesn't have to get his throwing motion back. So I I think it's just a a leverage play by Lawrence to get his deal done sooner rather than later. 
Dean Osborne, 42. How patient will the Ford family be with Matt Patricia? They've been patient so far because Patricia is tied together with Bob Quinn. The, the question becomes, at what point does the owner, Martha Firestone Ford, say, all right, enough with this experiment as we try to bring the Patriots to the upper Midwest? I think that's the key. Brady wants to know whether the Steelers' old-fashioned business practices are holding them back, especially since their stars are of the younger generation who don't have a problem standing up to authority. This is starting to blow up on the Steelers a little bit. They have these rigid inflexible ways that players have typically gone along with. Now you're seeing players push back. And is this the start of a trend? Do they nip this in the bud? That's why I was saying earlier this week, even if Brown wants out of Pittsburgh, there's an argument to be made for standing up to him because you don't want to send that message. You don't want the bad precedent to be set and have other players feel emboldened to do the same thing. All right, you know, I got a few left here. I keep thinking that uh, I'm getting toward the end, but there are more and there are more. Let me say what I said yesterday. If I didn't answer one of your questions, ask it again tomorrow, either tomorrow or Thursday. What is tomorrow is Thursday. I'll, I'll, I'll plan to do one again tomorrow. Maybe we'll get a guest for tomorrow afternoon. But if I didn't get to your question, ask it tomorrow. I've been going on for way too long. Let's find another. Let's play this game again. I kind of like this game. It at least lets me know that there are five or six people that, number one, listen to the whole damn thing, and number two, are willing to go on Twitter and waste a 280-character message by pointing out some obscure name that I've found in the record and fact book. And either they're making the print smaller in this thing, or I need, uh, I need assistance. Um, let's go with. I'm looking now at the all-time Raiders first-round selections at page 535 of the record and fact book. Let's go with a fairly obscure guy, not somebody that we would really... How about Ricky Dudley? Ricky Dudley, tight end out of Ohio State, first-round pick in 1996. Bark back Ricky Dudley at me on Twitter to let me know that you actually listened to this whole damn thing, and... I guess that will inspire me to continue to do it. Thanks, as always, for your time. Have a great Wednesday. PFT Live tomorrow. We'll have Chris Sims in studio. Friday, it's Big Cat. Still plenty of things to discuss. Still plenty of things happening. And we will keep you informed, enlightened, and hopefully entertained about the NFL every day of the year. Thanks again for your time. We'll talk to you tomorrow. You can find the PFT PM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFT PM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.